Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, good. Um, God really met with us this morning, um, and I'm still feeling quite just like he's really, he's really here just now. Um, I'd really like if we could all just stand for a second, um, and we're just going to just take a moment to pray and just, just be before God before I start, before I start preaching. Whew. God, we thank you so much that, that you're here and that you're with us. I just feel God's really want to remind us this morning that, that he is our shepherd. Um, that if you are one of his children, if you're one of his sheep, he's your shepherd. And um, that he has chosen you and he guides you. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. So this morning as we speak on the topic of forgiving others... Um, we're going to touch on some raw nerves together. There's going to be some things for some people which is just going to say, I don't really want to think about this. I don't want to, don't want to go there. But, but God's just saying, I'm, I'm with you this morning and I'm leading you. And, and I really want to bring you through to this place beside quiet waters. If you're in turmoil, if you've got inner unrest, I want to bring you through to this place of peace this morning. So God, we just thank you for your presence with us. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come now. Please help us to listen to your word, to submit to your word. God, I pray that you would help me to speak it clearly and um, that you would bless us this morning as we study. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Great. Take a seat. Um, So, as I was saying, we're going to be speaking about the topic of forgiving others. So, um, The normal expectation of the Christian life is one where we live in fellowship with God. And that's what we want. If we're a child of God, if we're one of his people, we we want that. We want to live in this daily experience of knowing God, of reading his word and it coming alive to us. Knowing him, knowing his joy, knowing his peace, this is the greatest joy that we can have in this life. We look to other things, we look to money, we look to status, we look to relationships, we look to family, we look to all these other good things, but actually these pale away in significance when we stand before God and we commune with him. It really is the greatest joy in life. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he is wanting them to have this daily experience of being with God, of knowing him. But there is something which can just have catastrophic effects on that and break our fellowship with God, which Paul talks about. So as we look into this this morning, you've got to see that Paul's heart in this is helping people come through to a closer relationship to God, to a closer relationship to the Father. Now, there are days when I feel so close to God, where I can read this word and it just comes alive. There's other days when it's harder, but, but this... Paul just wants us to get through to this place where we can can see God more clearly. So let's read the passage together, and we should come up behind me. So it's Ephesians 4, verses 30 to 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's short, so I'm just going to read it again because it's such a great passage. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So there's a life that we can have, which is life in the Spirit. The Spirit is God's presence with us. He empowers us. He helps us to experience the life of God as we, work, as we go around and as we work in family in this world, to live in his power. It's almost, it's so intimate. It's almost like a love affair. <laughs> you can know God so closely, know his joy, know his peace. And as we come before him, the Holy Spirit helps us to experience that and also helps us to see in his word and learn more about him. And it says that, if you're God's child, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed is like a mark of ownership. You know these old films you see where um, in the Middle Ages and they're sending a letter and then they put this wax seal on it. And this puts it on and says, no, this is me. This is me. I made this message. This is what the Holy Spirit is like to us. It's almost like, remember your mum when you went to school put name tags on your jumper? You remember that? And you're looking in and it says, and, well, I was Andrew then because I was only wee. So Andrew Wall was like, oh yeah, this is my jumper. It's almost like that. God looks down at us and says, this is my child. I see the Holy Spirit on them. And so it says we're sealed for the day of redemption. There's a day coming when Jesus will come back and those of us who are his will go to be with him forever. And we're looking forward to this day. But in the meantime, we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit So when you experience life in the Spirit, this is God's seal on you. You see things revealed in his word. You hear from God the Father. You see prayer answered. These are reminders to us that we belong to God. Paul wants the Ephesians to live in this way, knowing God with them. But as we see here, it's possible to interrupt this process. There are things we can do which upset the Holy Spirit. Paul calls it grieving the spirit. Now, the word that he uses in Greek is lupeo, which actually is an incredibly strong way of describing grief. It's like someone who gets awful news and lets out this howl of, of just unimaginable grief. You know, in films when you see and someone gets this terrible news and they're crying and they're making this awful noise, that's that kind of level of emotion. It's even used of childbirth, that that deep emotion, that pain, intense distress. Paul's saying this is how the Holy Spirit can feel about the way we act sometimes. Just imagine that when we are living in a certain way, the Holy Spirit feels this deep, intense pain. If we're in a friendship, it's very hard to continue having a good friendship and a good relationship if one member is totally distraught with what the other person is doing. It affects the relationship. When we grieve the Spirit, it affects our relationship with Him. And so instead of the fruits of the Spirit, we start to get the opposite of those. So one of the fruits of the Spirit is love, but as we grieve the Spirit, we start to feel distant. Instead of feeling joy, we feel distant, we feel sorrow. Instead of peace and patience, we can start to feel anxiety. Instead of kindness, we start to become judgmental. Instead of goodness, we start to become mean. Faithfulness and trust we question God. Instead of gentleness, we can be harsh. Instead of self-control, we can become impulsive. Paul wants the believers to live with the fruits of the Spirit, to experience life to the full with God. So they're already Christians. He's not talking about them being saved, rather about how to walk in fellowship with God day to day through their life, how to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, how to walk closer to him. 
So there's a way we can live which affects the Holy Spirit, which causes him grief. And there's a way we can live which helps us to foster a relationship with him. So Paul explains more about what this is. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So say I was to go to you and say, what do you think would really grieve the Holy Spirit? There's probably a lot of answers you would give. I think if you'd asked me before, I would have said, oh, sexual sin will do it, or gossip, or this. But, but Paul is starting to look at forgiveness. He says, no, this is what I want you to focus on when we look at this. So let's look at the verse in detail. First word, let. It's a really passive word. What we're going to look at is what God does in us. What we're talking about is something which is actually miraculous. So God works it in us. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and to produce in us the fruit that he wants. We have a choice. There is what we naturally want to do when we've been sinned against, which is to seek revenge. But actually, letting him work in us is a choice, and it's often a difficult one. So... Paul goes on to look at what happens if we choose not to forgive. What is the kind of series of events? Firstly, bitterness. So this word literally means sour or bitter. It's the word they would use for for bitter food. It's that feeling inside. When someone's done something wrong against you, that initial, oh, I'm so angry about that, that resentment, that upset. I can't believe they did that to me. How could they say that about me? Dwelling on what has happened and letting it affect us emotionally, this bitterness starts to build up within us. As the bitterness takes hold, it can turn into wrath. This this word that Paul uses describes physical rage. So you know when you're thinking about something and you're thinking, I can't believe they did that, and you start to, oh, your heckles get up. You start, your heart starts beating quickly. You start breathing faster. This physical rage that can bring up within you then anger. Eventually, when we start to think about the person, we're not just thinking about that thing they did. We just start to think of them as a bad person. We develop a fixed anger towards them. And we can't stop feeling angry with them, whatever we do. Next word Paul uses is clamor. It's literally moaning noises. So it would be used of like an animal if it was in pain. And Really, that's what we start to do. We moan. We, we start moaning to ourselves and we say, oh, I can't believe that I've had to go through with this this person's done this to me. And then it goes on to slander. So if we let ourselves go down this road, we have a fixed anger against the person. We're so angry. We, we want to make it right. I want justice. I'm going to have my revenge. When we do, we're actually stepping on God's territory Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Say again, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. The Bible says that God will bring about justice. Whatever happened to you will be dealt with. I realize as I'm speaking to a room with this many people in it, there will be people who are listening to me who have been sinned against horrifically and I don't pretend to begin to understand the pain you've been through but but you need to hear that God doesn't ignore these things and a day is coming when God will see that everything is put right he will repay 
God is going to bring about a fair outcome. However, when we start to take revenge ourselves, we actually make it more difficult for God. We start to leave no room for God to to take care of it. He wants to deal with sin properly, but we get in the way. Now, some of these sins that happen might not be dealt with until Jesus comes back, but God will not be mocked. He will make sure that justice is done, and he asks us to trust him for now. He asks us to trust him for now and leave it to him. But we don't want to leave it to God. (laughs) We'd rather do the punishing ourselves. And often the first way we do this is verbally. We try to destroy their reputation. So say you're in small group and someone has sinned against you in small group and you've gone through this whole process, you felt angry, you felt bitter. It's probably not long until you're going to start saying negative things about them to other people. It can easily be dressed up in Christian language as well. Someone's talking about it and be like, oh, well, you know, just for your prayers and just so you know, this is something that, you know, they've done before to me, just so you know. It's very, very easy to do this. And, and we've all done it. Malice. If left unchecked, this can get really extreme. We can start actively plotting evil against the person who harmed us. We can sit there and daydream about punishing them and then taking active steps to start doing it. The thing is, we actually don't have the power to punish properly. We often don't do a good job. God asks us to leave it to him. So this doesn't mean not reporting a crime. If you've had a crime committed against you, the right thing is to go to the police and say, this is what happened. It's not telling, it, it doesn't mean that you don't tell church leaders if there's something serious going on and you want to, you need advice, you can speak to your church leaders. It's a heart disposition, but there's more on this later. So as we go through this process, it is deeply upsetting for the Holy Spirit. He sees it and it's bad for us. The Holy Spirit wants our good. He doesn't want us to be living in this process, which is completely miserable. We can get trapped in this situation And it destroys hope of moving on and being free. And it stops us focusing on God's plans for our life. I don't know if you've had the experience before of speaking to someone who starts talking about something that happened to them 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, and they haven't been able to get past it. It's not good. It's not good for us. It's also not good for the community. It often doesn't result in an issue being resolved. Now, if we've been sinned against, there's... there's, a lot of biblical examples of going to someone and challenging them and saying this is wrong, of getting leaders involved and getting support. But if we just get angry and start to plot things and try to slander and just go down this road, it actually doesn't get things sorted. It leads to gossip, to fights and division, and it's not what God wants for us. And again, it takes over God's role of righting wrongs. So God asks something remarkable of us. He asks us to instead treat people not as they deserve. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So we have a choice. We can go down this bitterness route, or we can go down the verse 32, start with kindness. So this is a mixture of goodness and kindness mixed together. It's having a new attitude, a tender-heartedness. You start... When you ask God for help, you can actually start to develop a sympathy for the person who sinned against you. 
it's really, really hard. You're struggling with what they've done. But actually, with God's help, you can start to see that what have they, what, what's their life been like up to this point that they've come to start treating other people like that? What's going on in their mind? And eventually we can start to forgive. Now, it's not an easy thing. It's really not. But God repeatedly tells us it's his will for us. In Mark chapter 11, verse 25, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Matthew 18, verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Unlimited. Why does God ask us to do this? Again, God wants us to have a close relationship with him. He wants us to have a life of joy, of closeness, and peace with him. Forgiveness frees us. It frees us to live in step with the Spirit. When we choose to forgive, something remarkable happens. I don't know if you've had this experience. Part of forgiving is is often not telling people exactly what the person done, but I... I went through a process recently of trying to forgive someone who, who really hurt me. Um, and as I started praying about it and processing it, and I just said to God, God, I'm, I'm still really, really hurt and I'm really angry. But as I went to God and started to speak to him about it, I felt, I felt his peace coming back. I felt more of his joy in my heart and and it's a process. It really is a process. You can't do it straight away. But as I started to say, God, I, I just I want to forgive them. I can't. And as I moved through, I really felt God was with me. His Holy Spirit was in me and saying, I want you to do this as my will for you, and I'm here with you. God wants us to have his peace. He wants us to be free from bitterness. If we hold on to bitterness, we're not able to receive many of the gifts that God wants to give us. In some ways, forgiveness is actually a selfish act. It's actually a selfish thing to forgive. We love ourselves too much that we don't want our relationship with God to be destroyed by the bitterness that's building up within us. Nelson Mandela realized this as he was released from prison. It was a great quote. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind... I'd still be in prison. I don't know if you've heard the phrase before, forgiveness is setting a prisoner free and realizing the prisoner was you. Bitterness and unforgiveness is a prison. It holds us in chains. It makes us miserable. It's not good for us. It's not good for others. It's disobedient to God. God will give us power to forgive. So again, I realize that some of you have huge things to process here. I can't imagine what it's been like, but... It's maybe helpful for us to just briefly look through what forgiveness is and what it isn't. So let's look firstly at some things forgiveness is not. Firstly, it's not approving of sin. It's not saying that what they did was no big deal. It's not saying, oh, well, no, it's perfect. Sin is a huge deal. God died to deal with it. It's not trying to say it wasn't so bad really either. It's also not enabling sin. It's not going back to how things were before and pretending like nothing happened. And it's not allowing the person to continue sinning either. If you see recurrent sin in someone's life, it's good to challenge them on it or speak to someone else and go with them to challenge them on it. 
It's also not denying a wrongdoing. It's easy to say, oh, it was nothing, I'll just forget about it. I, I didn't let it affect me. Forgiveness isn't denying your sin you were sinned against, but instead recognizing it. It's also not waiting for an apology. You know, sometimes people will come to you and say, I'm, I realize I did what, was, it was just, what I did was really wrong, but a lot of times it's not going to happen. In fact, a lot of the time, people you have to forgive don't even think they've done anything wrong. But we want to be free. We want to live in step with the Spirit, so we choose to forgive anyway. It's also not forgetting. God isn't asking you to forget it and just get on with your life. The worst thing that happens to you is the worst thing that's happened to you. If this is something big for you, it's really hard to deal with. By God's grace, with time, we can think about what they did less and less. And actually, by forgiveness, we, we are freed from it. It's also not ceasing to feel pain, and it's not a one-time event. A lot of the time you'll forgive, and then actually later on the bitterness comes back, you say, no, no, I'm going to forgive again. It's also not neglecting justice. As I said, you can forgive someone, but still testify about them in court or report them to the police. It's also not trusting. Sometimes when someone sins against you, you see something about their character, and actually trust is built quickly, sorry, built slowly, and lost quickly. So if someone has built up your trust and then sins against you terribly, you're saying, well, I, I just don't trust you anymore. You're going to have to win my trust again. And it's also not reconciliation. God asks us to forgive, but not rec- necessarily to reconcile. It takes two to reconcile. They might not want to be friends with you again, and you might not want to be friends with them again. That's okay. But sometimes reconciliation does follow, and that's wonderful, but it's not part and it's not essential for forgiveness to take place. So what is forgiveness? It's being aware of what someone has done, but still choosing to forgive them. We say, I recognize that this person sinned against me. What they did was totally wrong, but I'm still going to choose to forgive them. It's also a choice to keep no records of wrong. It's not quite the same as not forgetting, but we choose not to bring it up. If you've forgiven someone, this is especially important in marriage. If you've forgiven them, you can't keep bringing it up. You've forgiven them, if you've, if they've, especially if they've apologized, it's, it's gone, it's dealt with. It's refusing to punish as well. When we live in unforgiveness, we can be consumed with wanting them to get what's coming to them. Rather, we let go of this desire and trust God will do what's right. Forgiveness is being merciful. God is both merciful and he's just. We're given two commands in the Bible given lots of commands, but here's two of them. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. God wants us to be merciful like him. And yet he also says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So God is both merciful and just. He asks us to be merciful and leave the justice to him. It's also choosing to be gracious with the person. Even though we might not be reconciled, we choose to treat them with love. It's not what they deserve, but it's God's heart. He showed his love to us even when we were far away. Even now, he treats us not as we deserve, but showers his love on us. He sent his son to die for us. Sometimes this will involve keeping quiet in a conversation, not telling other people what you know. It's also an absence of bitterness. Internally, we decide to forgive from the heart. We don't think over what they've done excessively, feeling angry, but rather we decide we're not going to let this bitterness rule our lives We forgive, and we let them go, and we leave them to God. Some people can be eaten up with bitterness for years. The person that sinned has probably completely forgotten about it. But you might still be eaten up with anger, with rage, with a desire for revenge. It's really miserable. 
forgiving yourself as well. We can often be eaten up for years about feeling guilty about things that we've done. If you've repented before God, and if you've repented to the person if possible, we need to completely forgive ourselves as well. Be free. And it's a source of great joy. God asked us to forgive for our good. If we live in unforgiveness, we are drawn into this bitterness that I was speaking about before in that awful process which steals so much of our joy. We only have a limited time here on earth. We're either going to die or Jesus is going to come back. Don't waste your time being angry and bitter for something in the past. God wants you to forgive and he wants you to be free. But in summary, I know that a lot of you have been sinned against terribly and I want you to hear my heart that I'm really sorry for that. And I can't imagine what it's been like for you. But I don't want you to be living in bitterness. I don't want you to be trapped by it anymore. And God is here this morning. He's got power to let you forgive, to let you be free, and to let you move on with your life. Enjoy with him.